So we are continuing in our series in the Ten Commandments, in which we're looking at these ancient words that God has given us and really reflecting on what they mean for our lives today. And hopefully, as we've been going throughout the commandments, you started to notice a pattern that really, with the exception of two commandments, they all kind of start the same way. They all start with the words, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal, and so on and so forth. And honestly, if, if we were just to kind of look at these as a rule book, we'd say, well, okay, this isn't so bad. There's just a couple things I need to avoid, and then I'm good to go. But the reality is that's not the way the Bible wants us to read these words, because they're not just a rule book. They're words to live by. In fact, I love how David, the King David puts it in Psalm 1. He says this, he says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, what David understands is that these words given to us by God, these laws, these commandments are actually meant to help us thrive. That when we put them into practice, they lead us to the abundant life, life that's good for us, but also good for our neighbors. And he calls us to meditate on them, which means that when we read these commandments, we should ask ourselves a question. That when we read, thou shalt not murder, the question then becomes, okay, so what shalt thou do? What, what am I called to do instead? And for that, we're to look to the rest of Scripture to really understand the life God has called us to live. And so this weekend, we're going to be taking a look at the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And quite honestly, I think a lot of us, we treat this commandment like it's the low bar of all the commandments. We might look at some of the other commandments and say, oh, those are, those are kind of hard to keep. Like we might look at the ones on... Um, uh, thou shalt not covet and say, well, that's kind of hard. There are times when I'm a little bit envious of what my neighbor has, but hey, at least I haven't killed anyone. That's kind of how we treat this commandment. We just run right over it. We say, yeah, at least I haven't killed anyone and then I'm, I'm good to go. But if we meditate on it and we start to really think, then how am I supposed to live in light of this commandment? We start to see that this commandment actually contains within it a very high calling. And to help us kind of meditate on it, I want us to actually look at the words that were written by another Christian a couple hundred years ago. I'm referring to Dr. Martin Luther. He was a Christian who lived in the 16th century. He was a professor of theology, and he wrote two small books. They're called the Small and the Large Catechism. And catechism simply means instruction. And in both those books, he takes time to meditate on the commandments. And what we find when we look at his words is that they reflect the counsel of God as it applies to how we live today. And specifically, looking at this commandment in his large catechism, he says that what we see about this commandment is that it contains two things. First, it sets up a boundary, and then it issues a calling. Listen to what he says in his large catechism about the boundary that this commandment sets up. He says that God would have this commandment placed as a wall, fortress, and refuge around our neighbor so that we do not hurt or harm him in his body. He says this commandment sets up a boundary, a, a wall, a wall of protection, a refuge around the lives of people. And the reason why actually goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible 
where in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made human beings in his image, male and female, he created them. What that tells us is that every single life is valuable to God. Every single human life has dignity and worth. And this is important for us today because we tend to assign value to different kinds of people. We, we tend to assign value to people on the basis of their race, on the basis of their social class, on the basis of their gender, on the basis of their abilities or their intelligence. And we tend to group people into categories and hierarchies that say some people are worthy of greater honor than others. But here, in this commandment, what Luther notes is that human life is precious to God, all human life. That we can't set up hierarchies, that we can't assign certain values to others and, and, and then look at others as though they are less worthy of dignity and of value and of honor. It sets up a boundary, a, a wall of refuge around the lives of every single person. That's why for Christians, defending human life in all of its forms is so important. It's because those lives are precious to God. But that then leads us to kind of like the second thing that Luther says this commandment teaches us. Because while it teaches us that it sets up a wall, it then issues a calling. The calling that we are to then man those walls. You see, often we look at this commandment and we say, well, I haven't committed murder, so I, I must have kept the commandment. But Luther says, no, not if you understand this commandment rightly. I mean, listen to what he says again from his large catechism. He says, second, a person who does evil to his neighbor is not the only one guilty under this commandment. It also applies to anyone who can do his neighbor good prevent or resist evil, defend and save his neighbor so that no bodily harm or hurt happen to him, yet does not do this. If therefore you send away someone who is naked when you could clothe him, you have caused him to freeze to death. If you see someone suffer hunger and do not give him food, you have caused him to starve. So also if you see anyone innocently sentenced to death, or in similar distress, and do not save him, although you know ways and means to do so, you have killed him. It will not work for you to make the excuse that you did not provide any help, counsel, or aid to harm him. For you have withheld your love from him and deprived him of the benefit by which his life would have been saved." He says, we need to realize that we have a calling to defend the lives of others. And so the question again is, well, what does that look like? And I want to actually give us kind of four images that come to us from Romans chapter 12, the passage we read just a little bit earlier. So if you want to turn to Romans 12 with me, let's go ahead and do that. And the first image that Romans 12 gives us is, is a pretty simple one. If you could do this with me, I just want you to hold up your hands. Hold up your hands. See, the first thing that Romans 12 calls us to do is to consider what we do with our hands. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, rather than doing harm with our hands, we are instead to extend hospitality. Now, hospitality in the Western world doesn't really mean a whole lot. It means that maybe somebody comes over and you, you cook them a good dinner. But in the ancient Near East, and in many cultures even today, hospitality is the highest honor you can show to someone because it actually goes to the level of defending that person from harm. 
Not only do you provide them with clothes if they're in need and give them food if they're hungry, but it means that if they come under your roof, you use your hands to protect them. Love how Luther says it in his large catechism again. He says that we must uh, harm no one either with our hand or by deed. Instead, what we're called to do is extend hospitality, as the Apostle Paul puts it. We are to use our hands to physically defend people. And what that means is that we're to look for opportunities to serve, to serve those in need, to not just look to our own good and to our own welfare, but to actually care for others. This is something that the Bible makes clear over and over and over again that our job is to, is to meet the needs of those around us. I love where it says this actually in James chapter 2. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Over and over again, Scripture tells us it is our responsibility to use our hands to serve the needs of others, right down to their basic physical needs. We're to use our hands. Second image that comes to us from Romans 12 is, I want you to do this with me. Just point to your mouth for a second. We need to consider how we use our tongue, how we use our words. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 12. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It says very clearly, we are to consider carefully our words because our words can do harm. This is something that, again, Luther understood. He says we must not use our tongue to instigate or counsel harm. So what does that mean for us today? Well, think about this for a moment. If you're watching this sermon on your phone, you hold in your hand your digital tongue. I mean, think about how you use your words on Facebook or Instagram or your favorite social media platform. Or think about how you talk about other people with your friends and family behind closed doors. See, oftentimes we use our words in ways that give the impression that some people's lives are more valuable and worthy of honor than others. That we might actually say and do things that, that actually cause that person to be harmed in some way. And whether that's bullying people on social media or saying that some other person isn't worthy of being defended because of their actions, in doing so, we're using our words to cause harm to the other person. We're instigating harm against them. What Paul is saying is he's saying, no, we have to carefully consider how we use our tongues and our mouths. We are to use them to bless others, to defend their dignity, to uphold their honor. That when someone is counseling harm against another person to, with our words, say that is not right, that that person is worthy of defense, that their life is valuable to God for they were made in his image. We're to consider carefully how we use our tongues. Third image that comes to us from Romans 12 is, uh, is our power. I want you to do this with me. Kids, you're going to love this. I just want you to hold up your arm. I want you to flex for me. Show a little bit of muscle, okay? I'm kind of doing it here. There's not a whole lot to see. It's because it's smaller on camera, I, I swear. But, but, but seriously, when we flex, uh, it should make us think about our power. How do we use our power? Because again, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this a little bit in Romans chapter 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
He said, uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to God, for he has said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. See, over and over again, we're to consider our power, how we use our resources to meet the needs of others. See, you might say, well, I don't have a whole lot of power. What are you talking about power? Well, think about your generosity for a moment. God has given you immense, uh, uh, immense resources, a house, a home. Uh, if you've got a job, a, a paycheck. To consider just the, those, those physical material, the physical material wealth that you have and say, if I have the means, how can I use that power to preserve the life of another person? to meet the needs of the hungry or the homeless in my community. Another way you could think about power is think about your workplace where you have influence. If you have the ability to hire and to fire, to set policies and procedures, to determine what kind of help your HR department gives your employees, then you have the power to actually bless the lives and preserve the lives of those who work for you. Or consider the power that you have in your vote, who you select to serve in office, what kinds of referendums are passed on the ballot. That's power. And the question that we as Christians should be asking ourselves is, is how are we using that power to preserve the lives of other people? Our power matters to God and we're called to use it well to defend the lives of others. The last image that comes to us from Romans chapter 12 though, is our heart. Consider how the Apostle Paul ends this chapter. He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Luther in his large catechism puts it this way. He says, Finally, the heart must not be ill-disposed toward anyone or wish another person ill in anger or hatred. This might be the hardest one for all of us. And the way that we can evaluate our heart is by, simply by asking the question, who is not worthy of your defense? Who is not worthy of your defense? Whoever that person is that first jumped to mind, that is the first person to whom this commandment applies. Because think about the examples that Paul is using throughout this text. He says this, he says, bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Over and over again, Paul is using our enemies, those who persecute us, those that we would think are least deserving of our defense and our honor. Paul says that's where this commandment begins. That is how love, Christian love, is to be expressed. That's what it means to, to truly, in our hearts, value the lives of all, to seek to defend them. Now, yes, certainly there are, there are laws and there are courts. There are people who've done wrong and, and need to be held to account. But what we're saying here is everybody is worthy of defense and dignity, even those who've done wrong. And we as Christians should care about that and seek to defend their lives. See, when we put it all together and we think about this commandment in terms of our hands and our tongue and our power and our heart, we see that this is a high calling indeed. And on our own, there's no way we can live this commandment out. 
But what's so beautiful is Paul tells us that we don't have to. We don't live this commandment out on our own. We live it in light of who God is and what he's done for us. Because note how he begins Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, what's interesting about how we translate that last phrase, spiritual worship, is that that word spiritual in in the Greek is actually a Greek word by which we get our English word logic or logical from. He's saying when you consider the mercies of God, your only logical response is to extend those mercies to others. And here's why. Think about the mercy that God has given to us. How did Jesus use his hands and his tongue and his power and his heart? Well, on the cross, Jesus' hands took the nails so that ours never have to. On the cross, Jesus used his tongue to speak words of forgiveness over the people who put him there. During his crucifixion, Jesus used his power to tear the veil and open a way for us into paradise. And at the hour of his death, Jesus' heart was pierced for the ones that he loved. He did this for people who didn't deserve his mercy. Love how Romans 5 put it, says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is when he says, when you see that mercy that God has given you through Jesus Christ, the only rational, logical response is to extend that mercy to other people. So that they wouldn't just hear the good news preached to them, but that they would see that good news given to them in the ways in which we defend the lives of the people around us and provide for their every need. When you see Jesus and what he's done for you, it makes this commandment not only possible, but the only rational response for those of us who've received mercy. That's why this commandment is so tender, because it says that your life, my life, the lives of everyone are of value to God and worthy of dignity and honor, mercy, tenderness, forgiveness, and love. So it's with that in mind, I wanted to close in just a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? The sons and daughters of man that you care for them. You have made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, and yet you've crowned us with glory and honor. You made us in your image and called us precious. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we haven't given that dignity to others and help us to be people who with our hands, our tongues, our power and our hearts defend the lives of others around us, that they would know that they are precious in your sight and that they might receive the mercy you've given them through Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.